Welcome to News in Focus with your host, Chris Long, president of the Ohio Christian Alliance. Stay tuned for an analysis and conversation about the issues that matter most to you and your family. Here now with this week's edition of News in Focus is Chris Long. And good afternoon and welcome to this edition of News in Focus. We have a special election program for you today as the Secretary of State of Ohio, Frank LaRose, will be with us for the next uh, half hour. We'll be talking about the upcoming election and the early voting that has already begun here in the state of Ohio. Voter registration closed out on October 5th, and then early voting began on October 6th, which will carry through to Election Day. Many people like myself will be voting on Election Day. We are traditionalists that way. But a lot of people are taking the opportunity to vote early or vote by absentee ballot. We're going to talk about those options and what might uh, you do in uh, as your ballot arrives in the mail. We'll talk about... Uh, what some of the counties are doing currently as uh, the absentee ballots have been mailed out to voters across the state of Ohio and they're making their uh, mark and uh, casting their ballots. Uh, Also, our website, the Ohio Christian Alliance Educational Voter Guide, is available on our website at ohioca.org. Just want to say that we don't endorse any political party or candidate, but we do provide educational resources for you to be able to review where some of the candidates stand on important issues of value uh, to you as a Christian, as a person of faith. And again, at our website at ohioca.org, you'll find the Ohio Christian Alliance Voter Guide, and you can print and download that from our website as well. We'll talk about that more later in the program. But without any further ado, let's welcome our special guest, Secretary of State Frank LaRose. Uh, Secretary, welcome to the program. Well, thank you so much, Chris. Excited to share some information about voting with your listeners. Absolutely, and thank you. And so, you know, the uh, voter registration uh, uh, season went uh, fairly well. In fact, the online platform of the Ohio Secretary of State online voter registration, I had your team, by the way, and they've given me some numbers. Uh, From September the 4th to October uh, the 5th, the numbers of voter registration, there were uh, a total of 320 7,383 folks who went on to the online voter registration uh, portal of the Ohio Secretary of State, ohiovote.gov is what we were encouraging people to go to. Updates, people updating their voter registration, which was important, 200,130 folks updated their voter registration. And then uh, from the online voter registration, that of course, this doesn't include those who filled out a paper voter registration form at the various boards of election across Ohio, but just from that month's time, 127,253 folks, new voter registrations just in that month alone. Your thoughts? Chris, I know that you had a role to play in helping with that. I know that Ohio Christian Alliance and uh uh, communities of faith all over Ohio were working on that, as well as many other uh, folks that were working to help us get voters registered. It's important. That's the first step in the process. And we knew that this year it's a little bit more challenging to get registers, uh, get voters registered. You know, normally people would be out there with clipboards at a fair or festival or, or whatever else doing it, but that kind of thing is off the table this year. And so we wanted to try to find creative ways to get people registered to vote. Uh, we did that. We, we partnered with barbershops and beauty salons around the state, with community organizations like yours. I did a lot of media in the days leading up to that deadline. And here's what I was really excited to see. In Ohio, the number of, of registered voters uh, went over 8 million. And that was uh, that's a good thing because, you know, we also 
take um, great precautions to make sure that we maintain accurate voter rolls. That means in Ohio, we remove deceased voters from the voter rolls. I make no apologies for doing that. It's the right thing to do. It's what the law requires. And so uh, Ohio maintains accurate voter lists. And I'm proud to say that uh, over 8 million Ohioans are registered voters. And again, that that's an accurate list and something that we work to keep accurate all the time. One of the things that we did at our church, of course, was a Citizenship Sunday voter registration effort, and then one person came up and said, you know, I think it's been beyond six years since I last cast a ballot. What should I do with my voter registration? I said, well, the, the law is is that after six years of inactivity, that means no voting at all, either in a primary or general election, you probably need to update or renew your voter registration. Isn't that accurate, Mr. Secretary? You're right, Chris. The law in Ohio says six years of inactivity plus not responding to the multiple mailings that we send. And then at that point, uh, then you, you, you roll off of the, the voter registration list. That's why it's important to vote, and that's why it's important to keep your information up to date. That's why we were encouraging Ohioans to check their registration. Now, uh, it's also important to know that we're not processing any new removals from the voter rolls until after this year's election, because we, again, want to make sure that we're following the law, and, and federal law and state law are both very clear about that. So we work hard to keep people registered to vote, but yes, we also keep the rolls up to date. So if you've been uh, not participating in the process for a long time, then your name could have been removed from the rolls uh, over the last few years. So, um, again, that was the reason why there was a push, obviously, from your office and nonprofit groups across the state, educational groups, to encourage people to register to vote or update their voter registration. And I could see by the numbers that there were, let's see, 200,000 just in that last month alone that uh, did an update on their voter registration, again, with a number of 127,000-plus uh, online voter registrations that were new uh, to the process. Now, it doesn't include the ones who did a paper voter registration effort that we had turned in through our efforts across state with churches uh, with voter registration efforts but and community groups across the state. So uh, those numbers will be available later. But, Mr. Secretary, so we went from 7 million to over 8 million registered voters in Ohio. Now, that's a high number. And how often does then the six-year calendar of when, I think it's six years, six months, something like that, then if you had no activity that your name falls then from the voter registration, is that monthly then that somebody that, that the date comes up to that voter in the various counties and then they become inactive? How does that work? No, that's done generally. It's done annually. There have been times in the past where due to lawsuits or maybe the calendar falling a certain way where it was not possible to run that list maintenance process because there are strict laws. You can't do it within 90 days of a federal election, uh, for example. And so it's generally done as an annual process, though. But there's also an ongoing list maintenance uh, effort uh, that takes in a variety of different sources. For example, and I worked on the legislation that got this done, and and Chris, you may have been, you're so active at the State House, you, you may have been involved in, in supporting this, where we uh, passed a law a few years ago that requires the Ohio Department of Health to coordinate with the Secretary of State's office. One of the things that the Department of Health does is certifies vital records like death records and that kind of thing. And so when Ohioans pass away, uh, then we, we work to, uh, it's actually a thing called the Steve file. That's an acronym. And they send that over to us every month. And then we work, work to remove with the county boards of elections, those who are deceased. We also work uh, with a multi-state collaborative called ERIC. This is something that the state's 
created uh, together mutually, really candidly, because we didn't want the federal government getting involved in this business. It is a state matter to run elections. And so there are a group of states, I think there's over 30 states now that are involved in this, and we exchange data. So uh, we, we have a data sharing arrangement with something like 30 other states. Where this is key is that um, if someone was to attempt to register to vote in two states, we would be able to prevent that. But more often what happens is somebody moves from Ohio into another state or they move from another state into Ohio, and they may register to vote in the new state, but they may not cancel their registration in the old state. It's just a thing a lot of people don't think to do. And so this allows us to process that. And also, uh, when if somebody were to, and of course, this would be a felony, it's a serious matter, but if someone were to try to vote in multiple states, as long as they're a member of this collaborative, then, then uh, the chances are good that we would catch that and then be able to refer that for prosecution. We're so glad that that's continuing under uh, Secretary Houston, your predecessor. Uh, there was only a handful of states back then, five or six. Of course, one of them was Florida. That's key because the sister state of Ohio is Florida. As many of our seniors uh, first just winter in Florida, then they end up becoming residents of Florida. And then if they become deceased, they're, they're maybe been on, uh, they left Ohio, so they were left on the voter rolls here, but they started voting in Florida because they became a permanent resident there. And so just between Ohio and Florida alone was a great way to clean up voter rolls for both Florida and Ohio. And I know that that continues. There was a handful of states back then, and it's so glad to know that there's now 30 states, because many of our seniors now, though maybe Arizona or uh, the Carolinas is places where they go and retire. So that alone, with that kind of shift in population, uh, is important to track for voter registration purposes. Uh, so glad to hear that. we got a lot to cover, Mr. Well, Secretary. something exciting that we're, we're starting to see, and, and this is maybe a result of the current situation that we're in, but we're actually seeing a lot of folks that are moving from the coast, these high-priced places that in many cases have been much more severely impacted by the pandemic that are moving back home to Ohio. In many cases, they grew up here and they went to earn a living on the East or West Coast, and we're proud to welcome them back to the to the Buckeye State and get them registered to vote here. So that's another good reason for having that multi-state collaborative. Well, a voter registration is closed out, and now voting is underway, and early voting has begun, and we're getting reports from our field office that there is heavy volume of early voting in rural counties, which is unusual because it's normally the urban uh, counties that have a higher level of early voting or even application for absentee ballot. But this year, there's a little different scenario going on, and something I'm going to call, Mr. Secretary, panic voting. And I'm going to explain that because talking to some of our folks, because we had the unprecedented move of a, of a uh, election in the primary that had to be rescheduled and there was no in-person voting, there are some people expressing concerns about Obviously, COVID or uh, the uh, you know that the election might be postponed or something like this. Of course, that's not going to happen. But they're concerned about that because of what happened in the primary. And then the mail service is, is something that they're not confident in. So there's people that are going early, casting their ballots in rural counties, and we're seeing a how higher volume. And I just got a report from Summit County. They believe between nine and ten thousand since early voting center at the board of elections opened last week. They believe that they've uh, processed between nine and 10,000 people that have voted early. Your thoughts on this? Well, Chris, so a lot to unpack there. First of all, folks should be confident that there will be Election Day on November 3rd. That is not changeable. In fact, it's not something that could change, even if somebody wanted to change it. Uh, the election date has been set in federal law since 1843. Um, primary dates uh, 
by contrast, actually move all the time. And so the dates of primaries, I think Ohio's had something like six or seven different dates over the last 10 years that our spring primaries have been conducted. And so, uh, you know, what happened in, in the spring was unfortunate in a variety of ways. Of course, Ohio was set to have an election, and it occurred exactly the same week that states all over the country were declaring emergencies and trying to figure out how to deal with this. And uh, thankfully, we know a lot more now, and uh, that was in many ways unprecedented. There had never been a circumstance like that. People were operating with the best information they have and uh, had, and uh, at the time, out of an abundance of caution. Of course, uh, you know the the initial decision was to delay uh, the the conclusion of the election to give people a chance to have in person voting. That was my my preference. And then the state legislature stepped in and said they wanted it to be an all postal election. I objected to that because I think that there has to be in-person voting always. In fact, I I don't think there should ever be an all postal election. But when the legislature speaks, we listen because that's what you do in the executive branch. And so we uh, conducted the election as they directed us to as an all postal election. It concluded April 28th. Very different scenario from what we face right now. And it's important for Ohioans to know that there will be in-person voting. The polls will open at 6.30 on Election Day, close at 7.30 that night. They will be safe and healthy environments. If you are comfortable going to the grocery store, you should feel comfortable coming to your polling location. In fact, even more so in many cases because of the really stringent health protocols that we've put in place. It's going to be safe to be a poll worker as well as to be a voter. It's also for uh, folks important to know that you don't have to wait for Election Day. As you mentioned, we have Election Month in Ohio. If you like that in-person uh, election experience, it's just as good. In fact, in some ways, it's better. You, you, you won't impact, uh, you, won't, uh, you won't find it in most cases, maybe during high-traffic times like right after work or during the lunch break or on the weekends when the early voting continues on the weekend hours. But really, uh, generally, it's a pretty convenient experience. You, you have that same in-person uh, experience that you would have at your polling place, and uh, you get your I voted sticker and you're on the way out the door. Also important to mention, uh, voting absentee in Ohio is, is nothing new. That's something that we've been doing for a long time. Voting by mail or absentee voting in Ohio is a trustworthy process. There is identity requirement on both when you request the ballot and then you have to prove your identity again when you actually mail in the ballot. And in Ohio, you can track your ballot by going to voteohio.gov, just like you would track a package you order online, and you can verify that it has been received by the Board of Elections. And so really, there are three good choices. And Chris, as you mentioned, we're seeing record turnout in the early voting period. We've already had close to 200,000 early votes cast in Ohio, and uh, close to 2.5 million absentee ballots have already been requested. Just to give you a sense of scale, uh, that is far and away more than we've seen in any previous elections. In fact, in 2016, at this point, it was only 1.2 million absentee ballots that have been requested. We're already at 2.4. And at this point uh, in 2016 for early voting, it was only 64,000. And now we've had more than three times that with 193. So Ohioans know it's easy to vote, and they've got three good choices for how to do so. So we were projecting that there would be uh, four, you know, maybe upwards of 40% application for absentee ballot. And then I drew that back as talking from some of your staff and said, well, only 2 million uh, applications for absentee ballot, uh, so about 25%. However, it did not indicate how many people would show up to the boards of election and vote in person in the 30 days leading up to the election. And that's where we're seeing heavy numbers uh, starting to mount in the various counties, even r- uh, rural counties. And this is what I'm saying is that 
especially some of those rural folks. And I would even encourage them that that's a good option for them. And if they did request an application for absentee ballot, I would ask that you you fill that out. And if you can, drive it into the Board of Elections and put it in the uh, uh, drop box there. And there's personnel there during office hours, but there's a drop box where you can drop it. If you have questions about the mail or making sure that your ballot gets back in time, that's one way to do it. Uh, the other way, of course, if you're going to go U.S. mail, uh, I'm saying now two weeks and two stamps. You know, I've heard that Joe Biden say that too, put two stamps on there. And I know you're not, Mr. Secretary, because I think there's like one stamp required. Uh, but, you know, sometimes we say with that piece of mail, you want to make sure it gets there, uh, two, two weeks and two stamps. But as not official, it's just something that we're saying as the Ohio Christian Alliance. But I think a lot of folks are saying, hey, uh, mail's been slow, and it has been slow. And I agree with you that the application for absentee ballot process is a safe and secure one. However, that one of the things that you, neither you and I can predict is what the U.S. mail is going to do. And I know that you've been on them and you've said, hey, it's important that we get this through. I was at my local post office today in Akron, and they said we are operating at 70%. That means 30% of the workforce is still laid off due to COVID-19. It is causing a delay in the mail. I've had letters that have been out there for eight and nine days in recent weeks just coming from Columbus back to our office. And I've talked to legislators who we've mailed to, and they said this took eight or nine days to get to me in state. That's unheard of. And I'm a guy who actually believes in the United States Postal Service. I'm the guy that does the old-fashioned uh, Christmas card list, right, and making sure people get a Christmas card, not an e-card, but an actual mailed card. So we actually, I'm the guy that goes to the post office. But I have to say, with operating at only 70%, 30% of the workforce still laid off, there is definitely a de delay in the mail. What do you speak to that, Mr. Secretary? Well, there's a couple things. I've had uh, now two conversations directly with the United States Postmaster General. I organized a bipartisan group of elections officials because I am the, uh, I'm the national co-chair for the elections committee for the Ohio or for the National Secretaries of State Association. And um, here was a couple things that the, the U.S. Postmaster General said. First of all, to his credit, he said that Elections mail is our top priority. He didn't say elections mail is one of our top priorities. He indicated that for the United States Postal Service, elections mail uh, is uh, is their top priority. And I now, uh, in you know, at this point, I think that it's our responsibility to hold them to account for that uh, commitment that that they made. Uh, also, they committed to doing things like what's called an all-clear procedure. Now, when you get your absentee ballot request in the mail or when you get your absentee ballot, you'll notice that official elections mail logo on it. It's got a swoosh with some stars, and uh, it sort of looks like a stylized flag. Uh, that has a official status to it. Those are only allowed to be used by boards of elections and secretary of state's offices. And the U.S. Postal Service said that they would conduct an all-clear procedure, meaning they would have their uniformed postal inspectors that are sort of the law enforcement body of the United States Postal Service going through their facilities on a daily basis, checking to make sure that there wasn't any election mail that got lost in the in the machine or stuck off to the side or put aside in a tray or, or whatever else. They're going to make sure it's on the truck each night. Uh, they also committed to making sure that they were going to uh, incur overtime if necessary to have the people that they need uh, to keep the process moving. They also talked about uh, and, and committed to keeping sorting in Ohio. Now, in some cases, they had been shipping Ohio mail out of state to be sorted in places like Detroit or, or Pittsburgh even, and the idea being that it was a more efficient way, but it, it cost a few days in transit to do that, and so the Postal Service committed to keeping their, uh, their, their sorting here in Ohio during election period. 
One other thing. Wait, wait, excuse me, Mr. Secretary, Secretary, when was that decision yeah. made uh, of using Ohio processing centers only for interstate mail, in-state mail? Oh, I be- that was a, they did that in the primary for us uh, on a temporary basis just for the primary, and they committed to doing that again several weeks ago. Uh, but that that became effective during the early voting and, and absentee voting period. So uh, I would say now is, is when that's in effect. And, and by the way, that is um, mostly uh, an issue for our friends in the Toledo area, where they had long delays because they were shipping their mail up to Detroit to be sorted. Well, there, there's uh, Ohio mail that was going to Pennsylvania to Pittsburgh to their processing center sure. and coming back. I mean, and really, people in Mansfield, a business owner, he's actually a state legislator. He says, "Hey, I mail a mail a piece of mail going across town to Mansfield. It takes seven days because it goes to Pittsburgh first, then back to Ohio. So if you can double down with them about that and saying, do not do that. Make sure it's Ohio." processing centers only for the mail during this election season, I think would really resolve a lot of the problem. Just my thought. Now, they have, defini- they have definitely made that commitment as it relates to elections mail. Can't speak for the, the, for the rest of the, the sort of postal stream, if you will. And as you know, they handle hundreds of millions of pieces a day. Really, elections mail is just a small piece of it. In fact, they said that, uh, you know, elections mail uh, season pales in comparison to Christmas season, for example, where as I, as you do and, and I do, too, a lot of people send Christmas cards. That's their highest, highest volume of the year. But um, what uh, I have one other thing. We're running out of time. And this sure. is an important question because this broke news sure. this week out of Franklin County and it actually became national news. And I know that the Board of Elections there had a software problem and there was nearly 50,000 ballots that were mailed errantly to people. They did, They got the wrong ballots. So they're, the Board of Elections is reporting they're going to send them the right ballot. Uh, Mr. Secretary, I know that you've been uh, concerned about voter fraud. You've been on top of it. Uh, this presents an opportunity for fraud. There's people saying, well, what about double voting? What about somebody else using that ballot? Uh, what about the how are you going to do some checks and balances of Franklin County of the nearly 50,000 ballots that were errantly mailed and those people were getting a different ballot, the correct ballot? As ex- What kind of discussions are you having with Franklin County about that? Yeah, first of all, this is a um, unfortunate error by the Franklin County Board of Elections. It's unacceptable, and we've made it clear to them that uh, getting this corrected quickly is a top priority. And what that meant was for them to, first of all, accept the, the error and find out the scope of it and then to those voters who had received the incorrect ballot. So, for example, if someone in, in this town got a ballot for the neighboring town or, or what have you, uh, it was because, really, of, of the machine that stuffs envelopes there. And, and so they had it, you know, it was it was off, and it was uh, stuffing the wrong ballot in the wrong envelope. Uh, that number was close to 50,000 that were mailed out now in correction, and those went out yesterday and uh, and the day before to, to get those correct ballots out to people. But one place where I want to correct you, Chris, it does not present an opportunity for, for election fraud. And, and here's why. The Board of Elections doesn't simply count every ballot that comes in their door. They only count one ballot per person. And that's strictly, strictly monitored. I mean, the, the Board of Elections can't accept two ballots from Chris Long, for example, or from Frank LaRose. There's right. only the ability to accept one ballot per person. And that ballot comes in a envelope where you have to prove your identity using your signature and the last board or social and that kind of thing. So it's an unfortunate uh, administrative error by the Franklin County Board of Elections but does not create an opportunity for, for voter fraud. Well, Mr. Secretary, we've run out of time, and I want to thank you for your service to our state. Again, voteohio.gov is where you can track your ballot if you request an application for absentee ballot. We'll be talking more about 
this. Uh, and again, tr- uh, going to the Secretary of State's website for your Board of Elections. Mr. Secretary, thank you so much for your service to our state, sir. Thank you, Chris. Take care and God bless. Thank you. God bless. Again, that's Secretary of State Frank LaRose. And if you've missed any of today's program, you can hear it in its entirety at our website at ohioca.org. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Almighty God, our sons, pride of our nation, this day have set upon a mighty endeavor, a struggle to preserve our republic, our religion, and our civilization, and to set free a suffering humanity. And the soldiers who stormed the beaches of Normandy and the Allied liberation of Europe, on D-Day, all those warriors set out on their mission President Franklin Delano Roosevelt led our nation in prayer. The D-Day Prayer Project is an effort to add FDR's D-Day Prayer in its entirety at the World War II Memorial in Washington, D.C. This wonderful historical presidential prayer will be a lasting tribute to our World War II veterans. If you'd like to make a contribution towards the effort of adding this prayer to the memorial, go to the website at ddayprayerproject.org. That's ddayprayerproject.org. This is Albert Bowler with another word about the upcoming election. There is so much at stake. We might not be able to vote as conveniently as we voted before, but that just puts on Christian citizens the responsibility to work even harder to make sure that we vote and that our vote counts. Too much is at stake to sit this election out. So whatever it takes, go vote. Will my kids like this dentist? Can I trust this mechanic? Who's a good choice for my upcoming remodel? I found businesses I can trust from TrustBlueReview.com. This company rebuilt our deck and renovated our bathroom. I'd highly recommend them to anyone looking to hire an honest contractor. The best dentist experience I've ever had. It's now easy to find trusted businesses in my community that have the same Christian values as my family. It all starts at TrustBlueReview.com or download their app in the App Store today. The trusted source for all you do. Trust Blue The following is a previously aired broadcast. Welcome to News in Focus with your host, Chris Long, president of the Ohio Christian Alliance. Stay tuned for an analysis and conversation about the issues that matter most to you and your family. Here now with this week's edition of News in Focus is Chris Long. And good afternoon and welcome to this edition of News in Focus. We're glad that you've joined us. We're going to be talking about what happened in Columbus uh, earlier this year during the protests that turned riots in downtown Columbus. And of course, Columbus hosts our state capitol, where our state capitol is, the state Supreme Court, uh, the um, Road Center, which is where the Attorney General's offices are, and other state offices. And on May 28th, Uh, There was a protest that turned riots that became very destructive in downtown Columbus. We've reported that on this program, and of course, as the State House itself became the target 
of severe vandalism that night as windows were broken and uh, the front door was compromised and actually anarchists at that point entered the building. There was only a handful of Highway Patrol on guard that night and had uh, needed assistance by Columbus police to discharge uh, those who had broken into the building. Uh, Again, on June 18th, there was another act of vandalism, again, which we have reported on this program, and that was in broad daylight as protesters then... uh, went onto the state house grounds with buckets of paint and began to smear the pillars, the steps, the monuments, the state motto uh, on the uh, state house grounds, actually creating damages that amounted upwards of $160,000, and that price has gone up of what it's going to pay uh, charge the taxpayers. Well, the city uh, prosecutor did not follow through with, uh, as the arrests were made, at least on May 28th, there were no arrests immediately on June 18th, but we have a report for you, an update, but let's go to that Channel 6 report of when this all first happened. This is ABC Channel 6 in Columbus. The State House has been a repeated target, and Governor DeWine is vowing to put a stop to it. Jeff Reddick live at the State House tonight with more. So, Jeff, how can how does he plan to do that? Well, you're going to see a lot more armed presence from troopers with the Ohio State Highway Patrol. For example, you can see them now Four to six of them have been posted by the McKinley Monument here out front. They're also posted at the main entrances to the State House. And way up there, you can see they're also still posted outside the Columbus Monument, which has seen some vandalism, too. This is all a much greater police presence than we had seen over the last two weeks. And that's because vandals had again splashed paint, including red handprints and words against police across the building last week. It eventually took a private company to wash off much of the vandalism. This is a part of protesting that the governor believes has no place in Columbus. He says he will not tolerate it and neither will the highway patrol. My instructions to them uh, is that when there is vandalism, when there is any act uh, that's illegal, uh, they are to investigate it and they are to take that once they get the case uh, and to take that prosecution and we're going to seek prosecution. The governor had also noted that small businesses in Columbus have seen vandalism as well. He said that that is also not to be tolerated because these are businesses owned by men and women who've put work into them for many years and don't deserve to see their dreams dashed by vandals. Now, the governor also said he had spoken with Mayor Ginther about what's gone on in the city and says that he's instructed the highway patrol to also take action against anybody who carries out any kind of violence out here where protests have happened. Violence against police, he says, will also not be tolerated near the grounds of the State House and will be prosecuted as well. Live at the State House, I'm Jeff Reddick, ABC 6 News. And of course, that was a report by ABC Channel 6 in Columbus earlier this summer. Since that time, of course, the city uh, uh, attorney uh, has not followed through with arrests and or prosecutions, even though there were arrests on the night of May 28th. Uh, there were 14 arrests originally on May 28th of the damages at the State House, but those uh, charges were dropped, were not 
pursued by the city attorney. Now, the county prosecutor is John, uh, Ron O'Brien. He's with us on the phone, and he did take up the cause, and he has pursued the investigation. Let me read uh, this to you from the Highway Patrol after that the governor had made a statement. In fact, the governor stated this, I have spoken with Ohio State Highway Patrol Colonel Richard Fambro about security at the Ohio State House, and I shared with him my anger and disgust at the vandalism that occurred there yesterday. I support the right to peacefully protest. However, defacing, damaging, and vandalizing our state capitol and its grounds are wrong, and such actions are criminal. The Ohio State Highway Patrol is conducting a criminal investigation into these yesterday's acts, and they will send their findings to the appropriate authorities for potential prosecution. Well, we have good news in that there has been indictments that have come down. Arrests have been made. Indictments have come down. And really, that's thanks in large part to the gentleman that's on the phone with me right now, and that's Franklin County Prosecutor Ron O'Brien. Mr. O'Brien, welcome to the program. Uh, Thank you, Chris. I appreciate the uh, invitation to talk a little bit about uh, these cases that arose from the protests and the riots here in Columbus. You know, uh, you had talked about when we were on the phone and talked about downtown these days recently has looked like a war zone as many buildings have been boarded up uh, due to all the broken glass on the the frontage of many businesses and restaurants downtown. And uh, being a public policy representative myself with the Ohio Christian Alliance, representing uh, people of faith across the state in the many travels that I've taken to Columbus and to our state house, it was really disturbing to see our state capital in the downtown downtown area look this way? Your thoughts? Well, I think uh, what I uh, used in our conversation is exactly how it looked. It looked like a war zone with plyboard uh, or plywood uh, and boards uh, all over buildings in the downtown area, whether they are office buildings, uh, churches, restaurants, uh, and broken glass laying on the ground in front uh, until it was cleaned up. We had the problem that you related to where actually someone was arrested uh, inside the State House in uh, Auditor Keith Faber's uh, office in the State House and others who went in after they took a heavy uh, iron trash can and broke out a window in the State House uh, on the side that faces High Street and actually crawled through the window there and uh, were arrested inside. So we have taken, uh, much like the uh, news clip that you just played for your listeners, uh, I at least have taken the view that certainly everybody has a right to protest uh, peacefully, and uh, most of the people here in downtown Columbus were protesting peacefully and exercising their First Amendment rights, but there were some uh, others that used that peaceful process as a vehicle to engage in violent conduct, uh, to uh, vandalize businesses, vandalize the state house, and uh, other property. And if we could prove a case, uh, I told the Highway Patrol, the Columbus Police, and uh, and actually I was working with uh, the Columbus Police daily through this time frame, that if we have a case and someone's engaged in violent conduct or property damage, we uh, want to prosecute them to the fullest extent of the law. And we have, I think, to date, uh, 20 indictments uh, against individuals who engaged in various crimes uh, of either vandalism, arson, uh, looting, uh, robbery, um, 
and um, fleeing the police when the police may chase them. Weapons offenses. Uh, we had one man who was arrested uh, on the corner uh, where City Hall sits at Broad in Front with a uh, AK-47 kind of weapon, and we indicted him for ha- he was on probation for robbery. Huh. We in, we indicted him for having a weapon under disability, being the, the prior robbery uh, conviction. And actually, after his arrest and indictment here, we worked with a federal prosecutor, uh, Dave DeVillers, who used to be in charge of our gang unit here in our office. He was appointed by President Trump to be the United States attorney last year. And uh, we dropped our case because he took the case federally where the penalty can be up to 20 years in prison if you're a felon in possession of a firearm in a riotous kind of situation. So we have tried to work not only with uh, the FBI on people that we uh, believed had traveled to Columbus to engage in violent conduct as part of infiltrating the protests uh, and the U.S. Attorney's Office, Columbus Police, and the Highway Patrol and agree wholeheartedly um, with Governor DeWine that violent conduct as part of uh, the protest won't be tolerated if uh, we can prove it. As you might suspect, and here's part of the problem, uh, Chris, is uh, people uh, who were engaging in this conduct, even if the police had on body cams or if you have surveillance video, they were wearing masks uh, because of the pandemic, uh, and you know, were having difficulty identifying who they were. And that's what took us so long to charge the people that defaced with red paint the state house grounds you talked about earlier. Let's talk about that in just a minute, About because uh, there's two dates of real incidents. May 28th, of course, was the major rioting that took place in downtown Columbus. We previously had on this program members of the NAACP of Ohio, Pastor John Coates, who serves as an officer of the state commission, and he said, we were not invited to this so-called peaceful protest. He said, I went down there. I heard about it on the news that night. I am a resident of uh, Columbus, he says, a longtime resident, a went downtown to see what was happening, and he said, I saw instruments of destruction. I saw uh, frozen water bottles. I saw boards with nails in them. I saw pallets with concrete. And he said, I saw people uh, urging others to commit acts of vandalism and destruction and rioting downtown. He eyewitnessed that. We put that in a report we called War Zone Columbus, still boarded up. And we took uh, the eyewitness reports that we had gleaned by talking to uh, law enforcement, actually, that were on duty that night, the, the men that uh, actually arrested those at the State House, uh, that also uh, uh, people who live downtown in condominium units. And, you know, it's block after block after block. And I know, Ron, you're, uh, you care about your county. You care about this city. And I know it breaks your heart to see it. And, you know, uh, obviously we agree with the right of peaceful protest, but this wasn't. This was anarchy. And it was those who uh, actually, there were outside agitators, according to some that came in, uh, to actually instigate and, and urge people on for destruction. But the state house itself is a symbol 
assemble of the people's house of where we do uh, peaceful, civil dialogue. We may disagree on issues, uh, but we do it in a peaceful way of exchange. That is our form of representative government. And for that to show 26 windows broken out, all the first floor windows broken out that night, the front doors compromised, destruction that took place inside um, is very disturbing uh, indeed. And we appreciate that you have followed up where city government actually has failed the state government in not pursuing uh, prosecutions of these individuals. Your office has pursued them, and we're appreciative of that. Uh, you know, I was able to obtain a police report uh, through our network of volunteers. It was actually the call log, the Columbus Police call log from May 28th that night. It's 35 pages long. It basically is the transmission between the officers in the street back with dispatch with each line item of each alarm, Ron, that went off in every building that was going off because those alarms go back to the police station. It's 35 pages of it. And then, of course, all the different destruction that was going on. Your office is pursuing. How many indictments do we have right now uh, from uh, those who have committed destruction? What's your office have? 20, uh, how many again? 20? It's a total of 20 individuals that are uh, indicted. Some of the indictments have multiple counts. For example, disrupting public services, inducing panic, vandalism, uh, and tampering with evidence because uh, they attempted to dispose of the pellet gun they used to shoot out the window of the bus. That's just one case I mentioned. But the most egregious case uh, I would like to tell you about uh, is a a fellow who uh, on his way downtown, decided to come downtown. He stopped at a corner grocery store, bought some lighter fluid, some uh, uh, Corona uh, beer, and and some socks, went outside, dumped the beer out of the bottles, put the lighter fluid in the bottles, and then put the socks in the bottles as a wick, and uh, came downtown with, his, uh, with six uh, Molotov cocktails he made, carrying them, walked downtown. Uh, when he got in the area of uh, Broad and uh, Grant, or uh, between Grant and uh, Cleveland Avenue, he um, started throwing these Molotov cocktails after he lit the uh, socks at police officers who were wearing riot gear, as uh, luckily they were. Uh, and over a period of the next several hours, he threw rocks, bottles, Molotov cocktails at police. And then, and luckily this is on social media, he broke into uh, the Adam H. Uh, building, which is the Alcohol, Drug, Abuse, Mental Health uh, uh, Agency for Franklin County. He broke into the building, uh, and we have that on video. And he set a couch in the lobby on fire, and you can actually see him standing over this fire that is uh, arching upward. And uh, we ended up, when everything uh, was put out by the fire department, both the the fire and water damage was a quarter million dollars. Uh, uh, Luckily, this person, because we had his photo on social media, we were able to identify him, arrest him, and he's charged with aggravated arson. He's uh, charged with felonious assault uh, for attempting uh, to cause harm to the officers by throwing Molotov cocktails at him. He also lit uh, on on fire a nearby building after he started the fire on the couch in the Adam H building. And and here, uh, uh, what was that doing to remedy the 
incidents that he or anybody else was protesting. It was just just violent conduct uh, and, uh, that luckily didn't cause harm, uh, serious harm to officers. And then burning down a, a county building that's designed to service those that need help the most. It's just uh, uh, disturbing and understates it. Is that uh, individual being held in jail while he awaits trial? He was in jail, and we filed a motion he'd be held in jail, but uh, there was a very large bond set, too. I'm going to say uh, a million dollars, million. I think it was a million and a half uh, by the municipal court judge. Uh, but when he got over to Common Pleas Court, the bond was reduced. It was still substantial, and his family uh, posted it. Uh, so he is out of jail and actually is, uh, they say, in some kind of rehab treatment program, uh, uh, but he is not in jail. Uh, he was probably for maybe two or three weeks after his original arrest. And he is awaiting trial on these very serious charges. This is Albert Bowler with another word about the upcoming election. There is so much at stake. We might not be able to vote as conveniently as we have voted before, but that just puts on Christian citizens the responsibility to work even harder to make sure that we vote and that our vote counts. Too much is at stake to sit this election out. So, whatever it takes, go vote. This is Albert Bowler with another word about the upcoming election. There is so much at stake. We might not be able to vote as conveniently as we have voted before, but that just puts on Christian citizens the responsibility to work even harder to make sure that we vote and that our vote counts. Too much is at stake to sit this election out. So, whatever it takes, go vote. Will my kids like this dentist? Can I trust this mechanic? Who's a good choice for my upcoming remodel? I found businesses I can trust from TrustBlueReview.com. This company rebuilt our deck and renovated our bathroom. I'd highly recommend them to anyone looking to hire an honest contractor. The best dentist experience I've ever had. It's now easy to find trusted businesses in my community that have the same Christian values as my family. It all starts at TrustBlueReview.com or download their app in the App Store today. The trusted source for all you do. Trust Blue we're talking yes. with uh, Franklin County Prosecutor Ron O'Brien. And, of course, uh, Franklin County is where the city of Columbus is in central Ohio and where our state government is hosted. And, of course, unfortunately, the scene of riots on May 28th and then again on June 18th as um, uh, paint vandalism took place to the state house. Now, Ron, uh, as you as that we heard on that uh, audio clip earlier in the program, this paint actually they had to the, they had to hire a contractor with special equipment when they first came out to try to power wash it out. Uh, the next couple of days, they realized that the power wash unit was destroying some of the sandstone. So they had to rethink how they were going to do it. And they had to hire and uh, acquire some special equipment for the paint removal. This is not just simple, you know, paint. And of course, uh, you know, this was really expensive damages. And it, it between the broken windows and the paint vandalism, it amounted to $160,000, but that cost is bound to go higher. Uh, you have some indictments on the June 18th event. Let's talk about that, the painting incident. In fact, in other words, we could say you caught them red-handed. Tell us how that happened. 
Yes, actually, uh, how the people were identified, because uh, the Ohio Patrol uh, stopped some people who were heading towards the uh, steps in the front of the state house uh, and thought that they had you know, prevented them from doing that. And uh, while they went inside, another group arrived and they painted, uh, put their hands in the red uh, paint in the cans and then put their red paint handprints on those Oh, probably six-inch diameter columns that are uh, across the front of the state house, and then on these uh, steps, um, probably eight or ten, twelve steps. Uh, some of that is marble uh, going up to enter the state house, which that material was uh, porous, and so when you got paint on it, it um, went into the columns and went into the concrete and the marble and it was very difficult as you just mentioned to remove so they had had and did hire a uh, special cleaning crew to do that and they did get it cleaned up but uh, the delay in getting some charges filed on that and actually on the fellow that broke into the state house the question initially was uh, was it a criminal trespass which is a misdemeanor that would be handled by the city attorney's office, or was it something more serious such as vandalism with uh, damage to government property that would make it a felony where we would handle it? And so we uh, did further investigation, first trying to identify the people, and luckily the people that had the red paint in front of the state house, they bragged about it to some uh, news media, and we were able to, through that process, identify who two of them were, and then the Highway Patrol and the Columbus Police reviewed their body cams to see if they could see who the individuals may have been that were, uh, and they identified two other people that way. So right now there are uh, three people charged with vandalism, criminal damage, and a criminal mischief for the red paint incident. And there is a fourth that we have a file on who's not yet been charged, but he was just identified through that process of looking at the surveillance uh, video, which I might add, uh, the, as a result of the, these incidents, that we found that the surveillance uh, cameras inside the state house itself uh, were old enough that they were very poor pictures, and you actually couldn't identify the people that were uh, trespassing in the state house after they broke in. And I've had a conversation with Senator uh, Andrew Brenner, who is uh, going to get some money in the budget this year to improve the surveillance cameras. That's right, high-resolution cameras for the exactly. statehouse. Exactly, Be- because uh, we'll have a robbery at a, uh, uh, a small grocery store, and they had better video equipment to identify the robber of a small uh, a corner grocery store than they had in our statehouse, which I found somewhat amazing, Chris. Well, that's right, and uh, so... And kudos to Andrew Brenner, who is a longtime uh, a public servant here in Central Ohio, that he's picking it up and doing something over it. Well, and he has a bill right now that will make it a third-degree felony for anyone committing acts of vandalism or destruction at state property. That would include the state house, the state Supreme Court, the uh, uh, road center, the anything uh, to do with the auditor's office, attorney general, secretary of state, or any statute display of the state. It would be a third-degree felony. And then again, there was vandalism, paint vandalism.
vandalism to the war memorials at the state house and our state motto. Uh, this is what was very disturbing of what you know people saw in the reports in the media, and of course we reported as an organization because we encourage people to go to the state house to uh, weigh in on public policy and to share with legislators your views on uh, public policy and. So for this to uh, the state house after 163 years without any known vandalism that like we have seen this year on May 28th and June 18th. So it is good to know that somebody is uh, taking uh, the reins here and is going to prosecute those who committed these damages. Uh, Mr. Prosecutor, we appreciate that. Obviously, if these people are convicted, they're, they're looking at jail time. Yes. 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 All of the people we had, and um, I tell you, there were 141 arrests. Uh, 122 of them were misdemeanors, and uh, 19 were felonies. And so far, uh, we have indicted 20 people out of uh, the protests and riots. And well, so thank. We're happy with that result. Uh, very good. And so we'll make your press release available. Also, information will be available at our website. We've run out of time, but thanks for being my guest today. Well, thank you for the invitation, and uh, good luck with your fine work. Thank you. And again, that's uh, County Prosecutor Ron O'Brien from Franklin County. You have been listening to News in Focus with your host, Chris Long, President of the Ohio Christian Alliance. To learn more about the issues that matter most to you and your family, visit online at ohioca.org. That's ohioca.org. Thank you for listening. This program is sponsored by the Ohio Christian Alliance of Akron, Ohio.